This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri, Anthony Kleinwachter, we are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast, back for Season 7, Episode 2. We have our guest here in studio, and Anthony, I am super excited. Yeah, I'm excited too, and uh, want to welcome Jay to the podcast. I know Jay was a visitor before, and you know, just needs no introduction if you follow ice fishing. But Jay, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, you know, we had talked before on the podcast, remember that was a year or two ago, and uh, finally I got to meet you guys in person at the Eskimo meetup. So that that was great, and uh, yeah, looking. Looking forward to chatting ice fishing. It's gonna it's gonna come fast. I don't know what the forecast is in your neck of the woods, but it's uh, it's getting cold really quick. I think it'll be earlier than last year. Well, when we look at what we've had, I mean, you know, you're certainly a little bit further north than we are, but we've had some really unseasonably warm weather. And then, you know, as of late, it's kind of turned that corner, and it really, really is getting us excited and thinking more about ice being a reality than it than it was maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah, no, it's a matter of how far north I want to drive to find ice right now, but uh, I still have to put the boat away. I need to shoot a deer. I got a couple of things that need to happen um, before I can. It, it's kind of, it's a tough season. I, I never understood the dilemma until I got into, you know, musky fishing and deer hunting and stuff. And I'm like, I see why people, you know, it's it's tough to race out for first ice, but it's it's coming fast. It's a magic time of the year, right? You look at the window of late October through November and you know, all of those things you mentioned, plus the anticipation of first ice, it's all happening right at once. And there just aren't enough days to get it all done. That's the problem. Mix in a little bit of ice show season and some other, you know, things that you have going on. It, it makes for a very busy season. I know you guys, you know, as we're recording this, we're just before the Winnipeg ice show. You could be over there and uh, any exciting things happening over there? Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be significantly bigger than than last year i think just with there not being any restrictions now it's going to be probably i would think like 30 percent bigger um i i'm a, i'm expecting it to be madness like yesterday or last year when the doors opened the saturday morning it was just it was a mad dash you know um so i think it's going to be good i'm going to be at the Huntfish manitoba booth both days uh catch and cook is going to have a booth that josh will be at we strategically got those two booths side by side um yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I mean, all the all the new gear is gonna be there. A lot of places you can buy gear too, because I know people come to those shows wanting to spend their money. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's just fun to to meet a bunch of hardcore fishermen. You know, it is fantastic to meet hardcore fishermen. And uh, you know, going back to what you said earlier, Jay and folks, we're talking to Jay Siemens here. I know many of you already know that, but uh, just wanted to make sure we we get a, a full recognition of our guest today. Having a chance to meet you in person. Along with the rest of the crew, right? During this last couple of years, we just didn't have that face-to-face connection with folks, and and it was so nice to be able to to actually just uh, be in each other's presence. It, and yeah. uh, really, really great. We enjoyed it very much. Enjoyed meeting your family. Thank you for bringing them along as I, well. I, yeah, enjoyed meeting you guys as well. And uh, yeah, it's good. I, I love I love spending time in the states too. And uh, any any excuse for a road trip is great. So that was good. Hey, you've got something that you just released here that uh, there was a lot of hype, a lot of lead up to it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen it. Uh, some may have not. And if you, if you haven't, 
and you're listening to Shack Talk, I'd make sure you get over there and check out Jay's new project that just released. You want to give us an intro and just tell us a little bit about what all the excitement's on? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, we've done two seasons of a, of a series called 39 Hours, which was a, uh, a fishing competition. The last of 39 Hours, there was <clears throat> teams kind of spread across North America, and you know, uh, it kind of got a cult following. It, it, it got a good response. Or, and even, even from people outside of fishing seemed to seem to uh, gravitate towards it. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, people have been asking for, you know, can we do a season of 30 hours on ice? And this is not a season of 30 hours on ice. It definitely has some shared characteristics, the fact that it's a competition. So basically, um, the series is going to be, there's six teams that uh, there was a team in Quebec uh, a couple teams in Manitoba, a team in Saskatchewan. I was in Northwest Ontario. There's another team in the American part of Lake of the Woods in that neck. Lake of the Woods. Um, and basically, we, we kind of, instead of throwing hours, throwing hours was a competition where you would fish for, you know, any species you could, and you'd get a point for that. For ice fishing, we kind of wanted to streamline it to the main species. So instead of people ice fishing for bullheads or for carp and stuff like that, which is possible but difficult, we thought, you know, let's just pick seven main categories. And instead of, you know, one point for the biggest fish of every species, we'll make it the longest combined inches wins, hence the name Game of Inches, which is a play on, on Game of Thrones. Our friend Taro, who's been in the first two seasons of Theron Hours, he, uh, he says a lot of stuff. He, that guy just talks nonstop. And at one point, he threw out the term Game of Inches, and it just stuck in the back of my head. So when it came to planning this, we're like, I think we should go with Game of Inches. So anyways, there's seven categories. Um, there's walleye. There's ESOX, meaning pike or muskies. The Quebec team, they have muskies open year round. So that was something I don't I don't know if they call one. That's the thing, is like I haven't seen the other team's videos. They haven't, you know, maybe by this podcast they have. So there's walleyes, ESOX, lake trout, obviously a, a very important winter species, panfish, you know, could be perch, bluegill crappies, that sort of thing. Um, then you got other trout, we call it, which is stock trout, so tiger trout, rainbow trout, brown trout, brook trout, that sort of category. Um, then you've got whitefish, which is just a popular winter species as well, and then burbot. So those are the seven categories, and it changes the strategy because instead of just trying to catch the absolute biggest, you want to make sure you check off all seven categories, right? So that's that's how it worked out. Um how it's going to release, which is going to be a little bit different is each video is going to be on their own team's channel. So if you want to see my day, you got to go to the Jay Siemens YouTube channel. If you want to see, um, if you want to see the Conrad brothers videos, you got to go to the Conrad brothers channel to the fishing geeks. So it'll be just a mass amount of content. It'll be different. One of that same back and forth is there in hours that you could do in the editing, but for people that just want to consume as much ice fishing video as possible, it'll be a video dropping every night, like Monday to Friday for five weeks straight there'll be a video on someone's channel popping. So it'll be a lot of, a lot of content. That is a lot. So 25 videos in total. Yeah. Yeah. I, from what I've heard, I don't think Uncut Angling will be uh, posting their videos, um, but the five of the six teams are. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be Monday. The first one is going to be November 7th, which will be dropping on my channel, the first one. And then I'm not sure there will be a release schedule that'll get posted yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be the, 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 five channels that's going on is my channel, Jay Siemens, we're team catch and cook. It's me and Josh McFadden, who you've had on the podcast before. Um, then you've got team frostbite frostbite sponsored a team. So that'll be on the frostbite channel. That's Joe Cooper and Dave Winters. And then you've got the Conrad brothers, the twin brothers, Adam and Sean Conrad. They're on the fishing geeks channel. 
Then you've got Clayton Schick, Clayton Schick Outdoors. That'll go on his channel. That'll be him and his buddy Adam Crawford. Um, fifth, you've got Alex Perrick and Andrew Walker. And I think those videos will be split between. They both have channels. So they'll be on AP Bassin and Cast and Conquering. Um, yeah, so it's going to be... Uh, I, I'm excited because we did updates at the end of every episode, but the last episode we didn't share the updates. So I don't know who won. Like, it's, it's, it's exciting. You know, it'll be the surprise right till the end, which will be whatever, five weeks from November 7th, we'll figure out who won. And just for our listeners, so uh, you get a picture of where we're at. We're recording this actually right before November 7th. So the first video, we've, we've not seen it either. And we're just as, you know, excited and, and anticipating the, the start of this whole thing as everybody else is. Jay, my one question, how yeah. in the world did you get everybody to coordinate? I mean, those are some huge names, big people, busy people. How did you ever get the logistics of just doing it all? Well, yeah, the, the logistics is a headache. Frostbite took on a lot of that. Mark Telly at Frostbite did a lot of the logistical stuff there. But I, I think the reason that this was maybe easier to pull off um, is just the fact that we thought it would be a community building thing. Like when you do 30 hours, it's great. It all goes on one channel. But the cool thing about this is you've got, you know, people that maybe are just starting their YouTube channel, like, uh, or or whatever there's the, everyone's at different places with where they're at but now it's a chance for like if you want to see how the conrad brothers did you'll have to go watch their videos so it's like i don't know I, I feel like there's so often a competition it's like oh who who has the most views on their video who's the most subscribers and now it's like we're all just trying to build up ice fishing i'm trying to push people to their channel they're trying to push people to my channel they're all friends which is like the great part at the end of the day so i mean i i think it's special i i mean i've I love the the saying community over competition. And I think the ice fishing community is a great community. And uh, so, yeah, it was a bit of the logistics was tough because as far as the fishing days go, it's half an hour before sunrise to half an hour after sunset. So they were long days. We filmed it at the end of April, uh, end of March. And you got to think the days are pretty long at the end of March. So we were like, I think the one day I was watching the video, I think Josh and I were on the ice at, you know, five and fish till 10 at night or something. Like it was just, just unbelievable days. Right. So we were absolutely burnt out because even though there was gaps in between, it was like, instead of throwing hours, it was like 70 hours straight because we were just going from lake to lake to lake. So it'll be, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out. So out of the videos, how many days total did you end up fishing? It was five days fishing. And yeah, each, each day is a video. I think my first video is around, yeah, 30, 35 minutes. And there's, you know, some highs and lows, definitely our team specifically. There's some very high highs and some very low lows throughout the five days. Uh, but that would that's what makes a good series. The thing about the competition is like if I go out and film a video um, by myself, if, if something goes wrong or but you know it doesn't come together, I'll just delete that footage. But when it's a competition, you got to you got to edit it. It's part of the story, right? So there's uh, there's a couple good uh, a couple good things, and I'm sure the other teams have some pretty good plot twists too. So yeah, that will be fun. Jay, for the three people out there who don't follow you on YouTube. Um, Tell them how to find you so they know where to watch these videos. If you punch in Jay Siemens on YouTube, then you'll find my channel. Um, if you punch in Game of Inches, I think you'll find everyone's videos as they're releasing. Um, and it's going to be a staggered release. So, like, the first Monday, I'll be the first video that drops. The next Monday, it might be Clayton. The next Monday, it might be the Geeks. So, you'll have to stay on top of it just to see where the next video is um, if you want to watch it all. I was, like, I was doing the math. I'm, like, okay, if there's – you know, 25 videos averaging 20 minutes each. That's 500 minutes of a video. So that's, yeah, that's like eight, eight hours of eight hours, eight and a half hours of videos. So that's a lot of, a lot of ice fishing to watch. So, uh, 
it'll be uh, it, it'll be good. And and in typical fashion, I think everyone's like doing final tweaks on their videos right till the end. So as soon as this podcast is done, I'm doing the final tweaks, like making sure the scoreboard and all that stuff is good with mine, and then it'll get ready to go for Monday. So I love yeah. it. Thirty seven thirty central is when they're dropping on on the different channels. So. No, that's really exciting. Looking forward to watching that and watching all the videos. I know the the names that you mentioned are all really fun personalities. And like you said, it's just fun to be able to watch all these different uh, people compete and, you know, get to know their personalities and their channels. And, you know, I followed Jay or followed you, Clayton, the Conrad brothers, all of you guys. Um, It's fun to watch a series like this come together. Yeah. I mean, so Clayton and I did something called Jay versus Clay, which was just like a, a basic version of exactly this. So this is just, you know, Jay versus Clay, but with, you know, five, five, six teams. So yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun. It'll be good. It's, uh, it's exciting to have ice fishing content before there's ice too. Cause I know everyone's just, you know, Jones going to get on the ice and to watch stuff. So I can, it's funny. You can uh, on YouTube, there's this, uh, you know, analytics and you can see what videos are getting more views. And just in the last week, I can see all my ice fishing videos from last year, all of a sudden just picked up traction. It was open water, open water. And now all of a sudden, boom, all, just ice fishing videos from, years past that are getting watched. So it's, it's interesting how it's just like you hit the start of November and like a switch flips and away we go, right? Take off and don't look back. And for those of you who are listening to Shack Talk, uh, who may be new to the sport of ice fishing, you know, I mean, there's always an influx. We're always recruiting more people. We want to grow the sport. Just a plug for Jay and some of the videos, especially the ones you did two years ago that were the like fundamentals of ice fishing, the ice fishing 101. Fantastic series of videos that walks you through just all of the basics and all of the the insight into the sport. And if you're not familiar, it's a great way to, to kind of benefit from someone who's done it for, for many years and has that experience and knowledge. And so uh, I definitely encourage people to check out all of them. But those I like for, for beginners. I think they're the perfect well, step. Yeah, I mean, like, I think we all come from different places. And, you know, I have buddies that grew up and their, their parents' dad was a hardcore fisherman. For me, my dad took me fishing cause I begged him. Right. And it, like he, he would go on all these adventures and didn't really know too much about fishing, but he did it cause I wanted to, but like it, it helps to have someone teaching you. Right. So it's like YouTube now it's like, if you don't have a, you know, a friend an uncle dad, that's going to teach you. Well, a lot of people go to YouTube. So that's kind of where I thought I'd try to give back in that way. And yeah, it's the cool thing about YouTube. Now it lives there forever. And if someone has a, you know, they want to know what, what type of shack is right for them or what type of auger it's, it's there. So. Yeah, I do a lot with student angling, and I know those those young anglers are just eager for that content, and they love it. Yeah. I know a lot of them have watched those and, and all of your videos. So, hey, let's talk a little bit more about where you live, because that's kind of our focus this season is to get a snapshot, get a picture from someone who is uh, living in different parts of the ice fishing world, and yeah. you, you live in a pretty special place. I live in a very special place, yeah, and I... I... I was just having this conversation with someone the other day, like, you're an Ontario boy now. I'm like, yeah, but I, I grew up a Manitoba boy. I, I still have like a split identity if I'm, uh, you know, a Manitoba boy or an Ontario boy. But yeah, so now I live in Kenora. I met my wife four years ago, Sam, and uh, I always joked about marrying a girl from Kenora. And sure enough, I meet a girl in Kenora and she happens to have a cabin on Lake of the Woods, which is another thing I joked about. So she she had to like question me a bit to see if my intentions are right in this relationship. But, uh, yeah, so I moved from Southern Manitoba, not too far from you guys, right near the, you know, North Dakota, Manitoba border, town of Altona. And then I moved to Kenora and yeah, I still travel lots to Mani- Manitoba all over to the North for fishing, but I'm in Kenora sunset country. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
there's so much you can do so close to home. Like it's overwhelming. I pinch myself all the time when I go out because it's like I could go pick a new lake every day to fish and I could fish a new lake till I'm, you know, 80 years old. It's it's unbelievable. When you look at kind of where you live and what you fish for, I mean, I know the variety is endless, but what would you say is probably, you know, your favorite thing to to do where you're going and what you're fishing for? Oh, man. And maybe maybe through the ice. I know, I know summertime is probably yeah. endless, but. Oh, I mean, I me as an angler, I love variety. Um, I would say probably the thing, I'll probably talk about what I do the least here is I probably do lake trout the least because I've done a lot of guiding and fishing for lake trout up in the north. So that kind of spoiled me for lake trout a little bit because I want to catch, you know, whatever the biggest is in the area. So there's, we got, you know, really big crappies, uh, really big walleyes, good pike fishing. So I would say those three, I kind of do a lot of, um, but then like early ice, there's some great stock trail lakes, some great brookie lakes around here. So that's something I'll do early in the season, but yeah, I mean, I love to do it all burbot, whitefish, whatever, but there are definitely a lot of walleyes. It's Lake of the woods, right? Like I can see Lake of the woods, out of my window right now. So it's like, I love trying to figure out the walleyes and I mean, uh, I love eating walleyes. So it's, it, you can't really go wrong exploring for walleyes and yeah. But yeah, when I, when I'm deciding what to do, I mean, for, yeah, it's, there's different things that you come into the equation, but I, like I said, I want to fish every lake. So I'm just like, you know, what's the next thing? So sometimes I'll drive, I'll leave my house and I'll be like, without even I don't even know where I'm going I'll literally just like pull over on the side of the road pull up the map and be like hey there's a turkey trail into this place I'll see if I can snowmobile in there right so when I take Sam fishing she's not a fan of that because I'll roll the dice and I'll get skunked many times and sometimes you gotta you know sometimes there's some safer bets Lake of the Woods is a safer bet to catch a walleye than me going into some random bush lake um because I do need to make videos to make a living but there's also times where I just like you know maybe hear a little a little rumor about something or i'm just like doing some research and there's some creel data some netting data somewhere and it's like okay we'll go try this lake so yeah so now in your videos jay you have um for those who have followed along you are building a cabin you know or you're in the process you're you're you've made some really good progress here during the season is that going to be a place where you're going to be using it as a base camp for ice fishing as well as summer fishing yeah, I, that, that's what I'm very excited for. Yeah, I was just down there yesterday working on it. It's called Uncle Mark's Outpost. Uh, Sam's Uncle Mark is the guy that we hired to be our, like, general contractor, manager, whatever you want to call him. And uh, everyone loves Uncle Mark. So we named it Uncle Mark's Outpost, and I've been, yeah, documenting it. And um, so it's, yeah, it's about eh, 20 miles down the lake. The interesting thing about the location is Lake of the Woods has lots of current. So the spot it's in is near some narrows and there's some sketchy ice there. So you can snowmobile in, but you can't get a truck in there, which is pretty limiting. Um, but I think it'll make it pretty serene when you do get in there. So I definitely want to use it as a hop out, like a hop, hopping point for, for ice fishing trips. It's going to be, you know, four seasons got uh, the water lines will be heated. It's going to be pulling water, a lake of the woods. So it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's ready to stay in already. We're just doing finishing touches, but this winter we're going to start, you know, doing some trips out of there. And just the fact that, you know, within sight of the cabin, you could catch walleyes, crappies, whatever. You could go wolf hunting. You could shoot a deer. Like yesterday, we're in the middle of building, and all of a sudden I see some ducks pull up into the bay, and I just run into the woods with a shotgun and flush them up and drop my first Ontario duck. And it was, it was, it's a blast, but it's like, it's a bit of a wildlife haven there. So whatever you want to do, fishing or hunting, ice fishing, it's going to be, it's going to be a cool spot. So I'm excited to learn that part of the lake in the winter and, uh, you know, 
take people along and eventually it, it will be for rent, but we just kind of want to make sure all the, the kinks are worked out and that it's, that it's good if someone decides to book a vacation there. So. Hey, tell us a little bit about life in sunset country. Is that a common thing? Do a lot of people have outpost cabins? Uh, do you see a lot of tourists come into your area? Give us a flavor of kind of what it's like living there. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, Kenora in the summertime is 45,000 residents in the winter. It's 15,000. So it triples in size in the summer. So it's a huge destination. A lot of people from Winnipeg too, because it's like you hit that Canadian shield and Lake of the Woods has this, uh, I don't even know. Lake of the Woods is just, I think you talk to a lot of people in the Midwest and it has this special aura around it. Like it's, it's, it's the place when people think of Canadian fishing. So, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I, th- I think if you don't like hunting or fishing, you're probably living in the wrong place. If you like hunting or fishing, you're living in a, in a dream, in a dream location because what makes the, the North end of Lake of the Woods kind of unique too, is just they have ice roads everywhere in the winter. You go to Manitoba, they don't plow as many ice roads in a lot of smaller lakes, but I, Lake of the Woods has enough of a cottager population that they plow ice roads. So I can drive, you know, all the way to the States. I could, I think I could probably almost make it to rainy river if I wanted by ice road, or at least to the Northwest angle. So there's days where I'll just hop in my truck, throw the flip over in the back and I'll just like have my helix on my dash and Lake of the Woods map. And I'll just, you know, go fishing. So for me, what it's changed is being able to go fishing on short notice before I would drive three and a half hours to come fish here. Now it's like, I could, you know, if sunsets at seven, I could leave the house at six o'clock and still go hit prime time and go musky fish while I fish, whatever it might be right there. So I think it's, it's also made me more of a fair weather fisherman because now it's just like, I can cherry pick the days when they're nicer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a dream destination because you want to fish Lake of the Woods, you go to Lake of the Woods, lots of access, lodges, guides, all that stuff. If you want to do the backcountry thing, like I said, you pick a new lake every day and I can guarantee you, you won't see a person. Like if you're like, AJ, I don't want to see a person. I'm like, okay, try any of these 50 lakes and you probably won't see anyone. And they have phenomenal fishing. So it's, uh, it's really whatever you want to do. You can, you can, you know, make it happen. And within, within an hour, like I, I rarely drive. And that's also my problem too, is people get stuck on Lake of the Woods because it's two minutes away. It's like, why would you drive three hours to Sioux Lookout to go fish Lac Sewell? But you know, that's another incredible fisher. Eagle Lake is an hour away and I never fish Eagle Lake. And that's like a legendary lake, right? So, yeah. When you look at the ice fishing season, do you see maybe more people coming up early ice since you guys get ice before, you know, maybe the States do, or I know your season also goes a lot later. Do you see more people late season or kind of mix or what, what do you typically see up there? You know, I, I, I think um, when the ice roads come in, that makes it very accessible for a lot of people. So it was pretty cool, especially, you know, through COVID, I could see so many families out going fishing because it's one of the few things you could do. So the ice roads were just loaded with people, families, people you drive out there on a minivan or your little Honda Civic can make it on the ice roads. So in that way, all of a sudden you can get out on this massive lake and get way down there. You don't need a snow machine. So I, I would say the ice roads is a pretty popular thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, people aren't too crazy. A lot of people just have in their mind that regardless of the ice thickness, they're not going to go ice fishing before New Year's. For me, I'm just like, give me three inches of ice and I'll, you know, tiptoe out there. Um, but I would say, yeah, I would say once you hit around Christmas holidays, a lot of people are out ice fishing. It's just people are home for the holidays. Ice roads are in. Fishing's pretty stable and they don't have to worry about ice as much. So, Hey, what about fishing techniques, Jay? So what's, what's unique about your area? Are there certain styles of fishing? Are there certain techniques or approaches or things like that that are maybe different than what we see in a lot of other areas? Yeah, I mean, I think you're fishing a lot more Canadian Shield. So a lot of like 
rock, right? You go to Lake Winnipeg or, you know, Red Lake in, in Minnesota there, and you're fishing these giant mud bowls. Unless you go to the South Basin of Lake Winnipeg or Lake of the Woods, you don't really have that. You're fishing a lot of, you know, reefs. And uh, I feel like the fish move on the mud, and you also just learn how the fish move on the shield. Like a lot of the times you'll be fishing on that reef and nothing will happen until the last half hour of the day. And then every, it just comes alive. Everything slides up. So just learning where those fish are going to be midday. And yeah, I, I feel like there could be a lot of movement on that side of things. Um, technique otherwise. Um, yeah. Just learning how to fish rock and what's the proper rock to fish. Cause for the, you know, those transitions and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot of trial and error and every, every lake fish is a little bit different, but um yeah, I'm still trying to crack the code on walleye because you can catch them on one lake in eight feet of water in mud, and the next time they're in, you know, 30 feet of water off the bottom of the reef. So, um, yeah, it's. I, I would say I'm not fishing. Like, if I go to Lake Winnipeg, it's a lot of bigger baits, aggressive, bigger rattle baits. I would say what I'm fishing out here, it's downsizing a lot more. It's a little more finesse. I feel like clearer water. I don't know. It's just, it's different. Yeah. How about maybe, I know we talked a little bit of all the different variety of species that you can target up there. Obviously, walleye, crappie, pike, probably the most common, most sought after. What's maybe something that's overlooked, in your opinion, for the Ontario area? And, you know, maybe people should spend a little more time on it. I mean, I think burbot have gained popularity in the last couple of years. I think burbot are super cool. Um, I did a, a burbot show with Meat Eater that'll be coming out. Uh in December. So that'll be cool. I was like, uh, my buddy, Sean McGaugh, took me out and we got just some crazy underwater footage and such a cool fish, especially when they're spawning in, in March. And yeah, people, you know, unfortunately people still leave them on the ice and just think they're trash fish. I think burbot are great eating. They're a lot of fun to catch. I, I think bass through the ice is an interesting one too. And I think that causes a little bit of, uh, it's controversial. I think some people are like, Oh, leave the bass alone in the winter. They don't need the harassment. I think what comes along with that is if you're catching bass and, 35 40 feet of water and there's barotrauma issues i I get that i think if you can catch bass in you know 15 20 feet of water why not i've seen them release there's i I don't know if there's enough studies that there's any uh detriment to them i think it's cool i think people whack on them all the way right until ice comes off and then they'll be back on the lake right when the ice is like breaking up so i'd say like there's smallies and like smallies are everywhere here like they just uh like they've been stocked a lot of the lakes and, and you, you, sometimes you get them mixed in with walleyes, but I've targeted bass a couple times through the ice and uh, you know, it's just, it's something different, right? Largies, yeah. There's less larges here, but I think smallies through the ice are cool. And you know, it's, it's the same thing. It doesn't, as long as you're not damaging the fish by catching them too deep, I don't see any issue with it. So. And I know that's, that's a conversation that I know Kyle and I have had multiple times is, you know, proper fish handling and i know you preach that as well i think it's something as anglers we learn more and more about as we go along and i think it's just something that we need to continue to to educate people on you know don't fish too deep for fish and you know know how to release them quickly and do those types of things and i know you guys focus a lot of that on your channel um so i think that's something that goes a long ways I, i think it's important i think either you're part of the problem you're part of the solution and i know sometimes social media gets a bad rap these days but it's like okay well are you doing your part? Are you just complaining about it? So it's like, that's, that's why it's like, I don't, I don't want to set a bad example. And I think fish handling is an important thing. And I was just having this discussion with someone recently about catch and release and, and how often fish get caught more than once. I don't think people realize that unless it's a fish that has a specific, specific marking or something. I think fish get caught a lot. I think in a lifetime, you know, even up here, some of these fish get caught multiple times. So 
I, you know, we've got a buddy. You met him at Eskimo Pro Day, Randon Olson. He's a guide down here in this area in Ottertail County in Minnesota. He has a particular muskie, and I was with him three seasons ago, the first time he caught this fish. Very distinguished markings. Uh, it actually has a big underbite and a shortened upper jaw. Last week, he caught that fish with clients for the 16th time. Wow. In three seasons. So right there is a testament to catch and release, proper fish handling. Man, how big was that fish? 48 inches. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, good fish. Yeah, really good fish. Yep, it's made a lot of people smile. That's the thing. It's like, it's such a valuable resource. It's like, think about how happy it made that first part, like whoever he caught it first. But think about that joy 16 times over. It's just like... You know, that's pretty cool. That's a real testament to catch and release, fish handling, and all of those things, right? And you talk about the ethics of any outdoor sport, whether it's hunting or fishing, and, and you know, they all have their nuances, but it really comes down to our personal responsibility and being able to, because a lot of times it's not black and white. Like, this applies in every situation. You mentioned catching fish at different depths, right? That that plays well, into that's, it. Yeah, like, on, on that topic, it's just like, I, I think if you're going to catch crappies for a meal and the crappie basin is 40 feet deep you catch your couple fish and you leave right i i I don't think there's anything wrong with that it's just like if you catch your five to eat and then you catch another 30 you know you put your camera under the ice you'll see them just pinned all the way underneath right so i yeah i think there's yeah there's kind of exceptions to some of that depending on what you're doing i don't think there's any problem with harvesting fish but it's just are you expecting these fish to survive when you release them and stuff so yeah yeah, and I think, you know, over, overlooked a lot, too, is fishing outdoors in the cold in the winter, eyes, gills, everything freezing up, you know, being quick to get those fish back in the water. I know I see that in a lot of your guys' videos as well, and I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot. You catch a fish, it flops around on the ice, you're trying to grab a camera, get it unhooked, and people don't realize how quickly, you know, that can affect the fish, too. So I think that's something that people need to be aware of, and I think as pe- more people get informed and educated that – you know, those practices get handled a lot better and people, you know, will hold a fish in the water while they're getting their release tools or camera and different things. So I think that goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here's your chance for your commercial, Jay. Why, uh, why should people go to sunset country to experience the ice fishing? Um, I mean, it's, it's just accessible. I think that's the easiest part is like you're, you're in a major city. Uh, it's close, it's accessible. I mean, you can be staying at a hotel in town. It's not like you're at some, off-grid cabin in the middle of nowhere, right? You can do that too if you want, but it's just, uh, that's what I've always liked. It's got the, you know, the conveniences of, you know, you're driving a a paved road all the way there and um, something goes wrong. There's people that can fix it. There's lots of resources if you want to hire a guide. So yeah, it's just, it's an amazing hub. And once you're here, you don't have to go far. So. All right. One more question in Ontario, obviously we focused a lot of, you know, sunset country, Kenora area. If yeah. you were to say or recommend somebody traveling up to Ontario that maybe wanted to try something different or get away, you know, where would be a destination that's maybe on your list of favorites or maybe even on your, you know, bucket list of things to do in Ontario? Oh, man. Because, I mean, I know we focused a lot on just a small area of Ontario. Yeah, it's I such mean, a large province. It. I mean, it goes all the way over to, you know, Ottawa, all the way up to Hudson Bay, and a lot of uh, area to cover. But anything that, you know, you hear of or I know a lot of different areas I a mean, person could go. Yeah, I mean, the Great Lakes, I'd love to spend more time playing around at the Great Lakes where there's steelhead and salmon and all that sort of stuff. Like even just down towards Thunder Bay, a couple hours away, I'd yep. love to spend more time there. I think there's a lot of cool 
cool bites and just different stuff you don't have up here. So, but it's once again, it's just people, uh, you get Lake of the Woods. How do you, how do you leave Lake of the Woods and, and, and drive four hours away from it? Right. So yeah, that's a really, really tough one. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Hey Jay, one of the things we're doing this year is we're talking about, uh, we're doing a little segment called ice advice and yeah. ice advice is, uh, we've got one recurring question that we're going to ask every one of our guests. And we've got one opportunity for listeners to submit a question, something they want to hear an expert's opinion on. Yep. And so we got a couple of questions for you. If we can, right. if we can spend some time doing that and here, Anthony and I talked about this. We kind of debated it last episode, right? So the question came up on a Facebook forum or a Facebook group. What is harder to catch? And, and what's harder to catch? A 50-inch muskie, a 40-inch pike, a 30-inch walleye, a 15-inch crappie, 15-inch perch, or 11-inch bluegill. Now, that's quite a lineup. But just looking at all those kind of trophy caliber fish, what is the most challenging in your mind to put up, uh, you know, and 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 actually have that, that uh, hero shot of? Uh, I would probably say the muskie just for the fact that it's such a mental thing. Like all those other species, you're likely going to be catching fish intermixed. You might go a week. Like if I want to catch 50-inch muskie, I'd probably go to Lac Sewell. And my first time I went to Lac Sewell, I went four days and I got one bite. But it was my first 50-inch muskie, right? If you go try to catch 11-inch bluegill, I think you're going to be catching fish as you go. It'll keep you entertained. Your mindset will be a little better. You, your head can get into some pretty dark places when you're trying to catch a big muskie. Like it, uh, it just takes a different mindset. And often, you know, it's a little more physically demanding. And yeah, so I would say, I would say the 15-inch muskie just for the mental aspect of it. Yeah. I know we talked a little bit about it. Kyle and I gave our input, but of think? all of, well, I said probably, you know, some of the pan fish just because, you know, you're, yeah, you're going to go through a lot of those fish, but it's just hard for those fish to get to that size. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Kyle, he's still chasing that 30 inch walleye. Um, so, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you have to go to a lake to target those fish because yeah. they just don't get to that size in certain bodies of water. Yeah. Yeah, my dad was targeting, I mean, in Manitoba, the Master Angler's 41 inches. He was targeting a 41-inch pike for, yeah, his whole life in Manitoba. I mean, the last, whatever, he's been in Manitoba for 35, 40 years now, and we finally got it done this summer, but that was a lot of fishing, and we went to some good locations. So, I mean, that, yeah, all of those are are tough fish. I think uh, it, it can happen faster. It can take a long time, like a 30-inch walleye. You can go to Lake Winnipeg and pop on your first time, or it could take 15 trips. How many times have you been up to Manitoba? More than I can count. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of 20s, 29 and three quarter, 29 and seven eighths. Yeah. But you know what? That's going to make it just that much more uh, sweet, oh, when, yeah, sweet when it happens. happens. Yeah. And I say this a lot about a lot of outdoor things. It's really hard until it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you get the first and then it's like, yeah. Huh, right. Did Mike Wilson get his just a couple years ago and now he's got one or two or multiple since bigger than that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. How about, How about you? For you personally? Yeah, I was just gonna say all those species. You got those all crossed off. Uh, I don't think I have an eleven-inch bluegill. We just don't have bluegills around here. We've done thirty-inch walleye, fifteen-inch bass. Who are the other numbers? Fifteen-inch perch. No, I've done like a fourteen. I've done fourteen-inch perch, not fifteen. I want to go to Europe and target some of those really big perch. I think that'd be cool. They get like five, six pounds there. Yeah, no, I got some work to do yet. Yeah, that's what makes us keep going, right? I mean, that's what drives us forward. And and it, your personal trophies, if you look at any of those trophy class fish, do you have any one or two fish that really stand out in your mind, like the memory of it or just the the sheer 
um, distance or, or amount that it exceeded that trophy kind of trophy line that, that sticks oh, in? Man. There is, there is a specific lake trail when I was up guiding at Wollaston Lake Lodge and we would go fishing in the evening sometimes. And, um, back to back, we got two Lakers, my guess hooked into this fish. And I, I mean, I kind of feel like this is, I mean, you associate it as a fish of your own if you guide it sometimes, right? And uh, guests hooked this fish. We'd been fishing all day. It was a mediocre day. And we stopped a lake trout fish on the way back to the lodge. And he hooks this fish. And it's just this behemoth lake trout. And I remember just had this sick feeling in my stomach like the fish had gotten off before it actually, you know, was even at the boat. And I was just so nervous. Anyways, we netted it. It was a 47-inch lake trout. And that was just like, I mean, trophy size in, in I, I guess, in Manitoba is 36, so it was a 47, so it was just that much bigger. So I was, like, absolutely losing my mind. I think the calculation put it at over 50 pounds. And then two days later, I was fishing myself in the evenings, in the evening, and I caught a 46-incher. And both these lake trout had, like, 30, 30-and-a-half-inch girths. So in, in two days, we caught these two, whatever, 50-pound 50, 50 lake trout. And and that that's why I'm ruined for lake trout fishing down here. Because, like, down here, you get a 35-incher, and that's a trophy. Up there, you can get mid-40s, so... Those fish kind of stick out in my mind. Um, I'm trying to think about through the ice if I have any specific fish that stick out in my mind. Um, uh, you know, maybe maybe my wife getting her first master greenback through the ice in a snow barrel on Lake Winnipeg. That, that was pretty cool. That fish stuck out in my mind. So, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, it all kind of blurs together after a while, too. Sometimes I have to, like, just watch a couple minutes of it. be like, oh, that's what happened on that trip because I have such a bad memory. If I didn't record stuff, I'd forget half the things that happened, so. No, that's great. All right, we got one more question. Um, this one came in from one of our fans, John from Wisconsin, submitted a question. He said, I have a question about fighting an unexpected big fish on small gear. So last season he was fishing, hooked into a big fish when he was fishing for panfish. Yeah. Immediately he went to, you know, loosen the drag, try and fight this fish to be able to land it because, you know, you want to try and land these big fish. And yeah. he fought it for a while, turned out that it was, you know, a big pike, swam by the hole, ended up getting off and yeah. just wanted to get your feedback. And I guess Kyle, I'll ask yours and we'll throw my advice in there too. But how would you handle that situation? Anything you do when you catch a big fish that you're not expecting um, and best way to handle it, maybe when you get it at the hole. Yeah. I, I think sometimes in those situations, it's, you got to see where, if you can and you can see where the fish is hooked in the mouth. That helps a lot. If it's a pike that's got the bait down deep that I would like, and it's, it's no leader or anything then I'd baby it a little more. If I saw I was hooked in a good spot, I might put a little more pressure on it accordingly. But yeah, in general, just loosening your drag. And then also when it gets to the bottom of the hole, I think that would be a situation where I would be more likely to take a stab at it, like stick my hold arm down the hole and, and just make it happen because that, things go bad right at the bottom of the hole. That's when you lose most of your fish, right? So I think that's when you, you take a chance a little bit more because you might not get three, four chances like you would if you had the proper gear. It might be like one chance and then he gives a hard kick or he hits the bottom of the hole the wrong way and just cuts your line, so... I, you know, what? what's your thoughts hard to argue with that rationale because you, you just look at the scenario and you are at a, at a huge disadvantage. You're, you're sitting there with a knife at a gunfight, right? So yeah. you are, you're behind the eight ball to begin with. Even the fact that for this individual that he sees the fish right now that I consider that victory number one, right? Yeah. I saw it. Now I can identify what exactly it was. And, uh, you know, of course it'll gain a few pounds if it actually does break the line and get off and, and yeah. end up being bigger than maybe it really was, but nonetheless, right. It's still, uh, 
you're still at a disadvantage. So I think, I think your comment, Jay, about making it happen at the bottom of the hole. I mean, that's, it is exactly right. That's where so many people lose fish ice fishing is right there because you've got to turn their direction. You've got to, well, if it's a big fish, you got to, you got to get it in that funnel and get them, get them headed up towards the top side. And that's not always easy. Yeah. And I know thinking about it myself, I think realistically those fish, you know, when they're unexpected like that, those are the ones that hurt the most. Like I've lost so many fish where I've been fishing for panfish or maybe walleyes and you hook a big fish and you don't get to see it. And so those memories stick with you for a long time, but I know myself, I'm kind of the same way. You kind of go to the drag right away make sure that's appropriate. And I think having the right style or, you know, gear for what you're fishing, you know, maybe you're having a quality reel with the quality gear, um, quality drag system makes a big difference in that situation um, where if you're using something that doesn't have that, I typically am one that likes to maybe upsize what time pound of fishing line that I use. Um, so I'll do that a lot of times if I'm fishing for crappies, I know guys will go two, three, four pounds. Sometimes I'll even use six just cause I know if I get that occasional walleye that comes in, I want to have a chance at landing it. Yeah. Um, so that would be my, I guess my only advice. Jay, do you ever use back reel or any other techniques when you're fighting a big fish? No, no. Just make sure my drag isn't frozen up. I mean, yeah, that's the tough thing is when you're fishing outside, things are kind of icy and that's where things can go wrong too. But I, I haven't really worried about back reeling now. You know, I think, I think that's a, a real testament to quality gear, right? Yeah. You know, we, we, we buy quality gear to protect us from the elements. We buy quality gear to, to make sure we're comfortable when we're out on the ice and fishing. And, and electronics, of course, too, there. That's a quality gear investment. Reels, yeah. a good quality drag. I mean, it's worth yeah. its weight in what you've got to invest in it. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say making sure that your line is good too. I've I've got a few buddies that probably only fish once or twice a year that probably have the same line on that they've had for four or five years. You know, make sure to if you're going out and you know you don't want to have that situation happen to you, change your line if it's monofilament or fluorocarbon. You know, make sure that you're doing that on a pretty regular basis as well. Yeah. Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Anything um, exciting you have coming up for the season that you think that our uh, listeners should know about? Oh man, I just just lots of uh, lots of ice fishing. I'm gonna have a series. It'll be season four. It's called the Canadian Angle. It'll be dropping on the Mediator YouTube channel. This will be an ice fishing season that I filmed most of it in March. I need to film one more episode. That'll be four episodes dropping starting sometime in December. So that's fun. Those are kind of a just a little bit different of a series. Um, I'm I, yeah, I'm just pumped about some of those videos that I filmed last March. We got a burbot show. We got a Laker and Whitefish show. Um, and a walleye show. So th- those will be, uh, those will be cool. And then, yeah, just, just my YouTube channel. I've, I think I've got 15, 15 videos from last winter that are all needing to be finished on editing. And then I'll start uploading those like this week. It's just, uh, yeah, the, ed- the editing is what kills me all the time. I could go, I could go shoot every day, but it's the editing. Um, you know, I think for every day on the ice, it's probably two days in the office. And, uh, luckily I got Brandon that helps me edit, but it's still, uh, yeah, it's fun. I love it. But Spend a lot of time in front of the computer. Yeah, and then trying to get uh, family time in, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure, sure some first ice trips for uh, the little we're guy over. will happen this winter. Yeah, we're talking about taking Hannon out in the snow bearer. I think that'll be uh, our friend at Icebound, Matt. He, he said, well, when is Hannon going to come ice fishing? So we'll see if we can get Hannon and Sam on the ice uh, in the snow bear, and uh, he can see his first greenback walleye. 
Well, Jay, thanks again for joining us. I know it's uh, it was a pleasure meeting you this fall down at the Eskimo Pro Day. And Likewise. obviously having, uh, having you on the show, I know our listeners appreciate it and are looking forward to I know I'm selfishly looking forward to Game of Inches dropping here. And by the time this episode drops, it'll have have dropped already. So I'm hopefully have uh, some of that content uh, absorbed by then and be able to look forward to the rest of it. Um, just want to thank Eskimo for sponsoring Shack Talk and letting us uh, have these great guests on. And until next time, to all the listeners, get out, enjoy the outdoors, and, and have some fun fishing.